0: I'm excited to guide you on your journey to transform your marketing efforts into something that provides consistent value and ultimately improves the lives of your audience. Hello, everyone. I'm Alana Leone, and I would love to welcome you to this week's episode of All Things Marketing and Education. Today, I am super excited. I am talking with Rochelle Danae Post, A classroom teacher she's an ed tech consultant she's a presenter she's a previous and current attorney she's an author she's 10 million things i'm gonna let her introduce what she does because wow it is a lot rochelle is truly one of these incredible human beings that you just give so much to education in so many ways. And I, I want to take the time to recognize that because I think you move 10 million miles a minute and you don't recognize that. But you create this beautiful ripple effect and are so selfless in what you do and how you give. Throughout my journey, I actually can't remember the first time we met, Rochelle, but yeah, I I, we're kind of ebbing and flowing in the world of edtech, right? So me at Edutopia, seeing you at uh, edtech, conferences, on the Twitters, those things. But I remember you just being so supportive of me. And especially as I made my transition to what I'm doing now at LCG, that was a scary time for me. And I wasn't sure that, honestly, I I defined myself through Edutopia so much. I wasn't sure people would even hang out with me. (laughs) I'm silly, but you were always so supportive. And I appreciate that about you. And I know that I'm not the only one that you were supportive of. So if you run into her on twitter or at edtech conferences know that she will be your biggest fan oh. And um, so when i talk to rochelle and you'll get this feeling soon as soon as i introduce her and she gets going i walk away incredibly inspired but at the same time with everything she does I tend to walk away going, "Wow, I am not doing enough. <laughs> I am a complete slacker." But she just does so much, and she's she's running a full time all of the time. And I I know you all will walk away incredibly inspired as well. I'm pretty much convinced that she doesn't sleep. <laughs> and yeah. ISTI, when I saw her, she was a featured keynote voice. She was moving her and shaking everywhere at ISTI. Yeah. You were just doing so much. And I was literally just trying to hide from COVID and pace myself, (laughs) but I was so impressed by you. Um, Rochelle is somebody who is incredibly passionate about so many things in in education, especially education technology. And there's no way we're going to get into all the things she's going to be passionate about, but... I'd like her to talk about her unique journey into edtech, into the world of education. And then I'm going to I'm sure she's going some, to get into some some edtech trends post-COVID, during COVID. Um and then we're going to do a little bit of a dive into the world of artificial intelligence. So I am so excited to
1: have her on as a guest. Welcome, Michelle. Well, thank you for uh that <laughs> very extensive overview of who I am and what I do and I'm exhausted just thinking about it and listening to it. So You know, I do get asked, uh, like the number one question people ask me is, you know, I have to ask you, do you sleep? Like, yes, I do. I probably don't sleep enough. But uh, apparently, according to a recent conversation that I had with a friend of my mother that I guess this woman used to babysit me, this actually was just, you know, couple of weeks ago. She said, you know, when you were a kid, like I could never get you to go to sleep. You always asked for something else. It was one thing after another. And I, I guess maybe it stems from my childhood. It's just, I just don't need that much sleep or I don't want to sleep because I feel like I'm going to miss out on something. So
0: yeah. You know, there was a question in a teacher community. It was like, would you rather be like a ninja or a vampire? And I'm like, I'd love to be a vampire because they don't sleep. You can get so much more done.
1: right?" Yeah. Yeah. I am. I am fairly, I guess I'm more productive at night. For some reason I have like flows throughout the day, but later in the evening, I just got into a habit of working late and it's quiet and there's not a lot of things going on. And I guess it just works for me, but it does catch up with me after a while. So, But thank you for having me on today. I'm excited to talk to you.
0: Yes, we're excited to learn from you as well. I think before we dive into the topics of ed tech and artificial intelligence, talk to the audience and introduce yourself on your your very unique path into the world of education. I know that I think I find it still incredibly interesting, and I don't even know all the nooks and crannies. <laughs> but can you tell the audience of your, your really unique and beautiful path into the world of education and ed tech.
1: Yeah, it's, there are a lot of nooks and crannies in this journey. It's still continuing to evolve, but, you know, I didn't, I, I'm not somebody that knew when I was younger that I wanted to be a teacher, first of all. It wasn't like, I was going through high school like yeah when I grow up I want to I want to go into education I want to be a, a French teacher or anything. I always loved learning. When I would go to school I would come home and I wanted to play school. I wanted to make worksheets or I wanted to be the teacher. I mean I was that kid that did that but never thought about going into education as a career even when I was at Penn State, which is where I did my undergrad. And it wasn't until I think, you know, I was taking courses in French because that's what I was good at. And I was quickly finding out what I wasn't so good at that actually in high school, I, I was not too bad in classes like math and science, but at it, it college, it was a, it was much more like a difficult experience and and it was a large school. So I didn't have those smaller class sizes and that connection with teachers as I did in high school. But uh, I also don't think that I challenged myself enough. So anyway, my junior year, I had still not declared a real major. I was enrolled in the school of liberal arts and the guidance counselor said, you know, you kind of need like something to focus on because graduation is not that far away. And it just was suggested that I go into education because I enjoyed helping people. I had this degree that I was working on in French and there were some other parts of that conversation. So I thought, okay, I'll do this. I'll give it a try. And, uh, you know, and loved student teaching, being in the classroom with the students and graduated. And I just, I thought that I would be able to get a job right away. And I couldn't, uh, which is not uncommon uh but when you're teaching something just french i mean some schools only have one language that's one language teacher or if they have two it's one french and one spanish and so i substituted for three years but during that time i got my degree in spanish to kind of open up more possibilities which after three years subbing i did get uh, the position where i am now and i've been there (laughs) i've been in my current school since the last century is what i like to say But it was during that time that I became, I had an interest in the law. I read John Grisham novels, just was very, very intrigued by all of that. And I thought about uh, taking courses in like becoming a paralegal, but that, you know, kind of forgot about it, started teaching. And then probably four years into teaching, I gave it some more thought. And I thought, I wonder what it would be like to be an attorney. And I took the test, got the score, didn't know what that meant. I'm like, I don't know how I compared anybody else. I forgot about it. And then I think two or three more years went by, and I thought about it again, and I thought, you know, I want to see if I could be accepted. So I took the tests, applied to Duquesne University in Pittsburgh because I wasn't going to quit teaching full-time to go to law school, and I was accepted, and so I taught full-time while going to law school full-time, four years, four nights a week and graduated in 2006. But the last thing that I'll say, because this was kind of like a long answer, is that uh, I never did get a master's from getting my bachelor's (laughs) into the law degree. But had it not been for getting the law degree, I, I, I know that I wouldn't still be in education. And so that kind of kept me into it, I guess you could say, or pushed me into it even more than what I was already involved in.
0: Yeah, and when you said you taught full time and went to law school full time, like let's just full stop pause there. Like that's (laughs) that's crazy, and that's probably where you get your hustle. It's probably where you just go full speed because you're used to it, right? I think so. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it was. They were long days, you know, and uh, but I. I promised myself and pretty much my whole family that I would not complain about it because it wasn't something that I had to do. I had a great job. It was just a personal fulfillment that I wanted to do. And I thought, well, I'm not going to complain about the fact that I'm spending, you know, 17 hours a day pretty much in a school building. And, uh, but, you know, I wouldn't change a thing about that either, because again, it would, I would not still be in education had it not been for that experience. So it led to a lot of other changes and evolution in my practice so I am continuing to learn as I go and I don't know here we are 16 years later and I don't know journey yeah. continues <laughs> And
0: what is it about now that you have been teaching for so long and you did have this other option to really pursue law and what is it about education that just keeps you going and keeps you in the classroom I,
1: yeah I think, I mean, it's a lot of things I'm, I'm curious for learning and I mean, the number one thing is, is the students and those relationships and the opportunity to just be myself because I, I don't know, I thrive on that. And even when I was uh, substituting and, and just, you know, that's not reliable income, of course. And so in addition to taking the Spanish courses, I was working at restaurants and I loved doing that as well, just because of those interactions with the people and, you know, different experiences every day, but in the classroom, uh, an opportunity to make, I don't know, something happen every single day to change things up, to be my authentic self, to get to connect with students, to use my love of languages for good to help others whether or not they all go on to be language educators even though we need them Um, it's just that connection and that that piece that enables me to share what I love but also to learn from the students in that space where every day is different and exciting I mean not without challenges but I just I get excited to go to school every day and um, I don't know I've always like I said when I was a kid I loved school and as an adult I still love school. That's
0: awesome. Well, let's dive into a little bit of the world of EdTech. We'll get into AI, but let's rewind just a little bit because you were kind of with me and a bunch of other people while we were trying to figure out, gosh, what is this pandemic doing right. to EdTech in the classroom? And can we expect it to continue after and post-pandemic, right? right? You want to talk a little bit about like what you saw, what you experienced? I mean, you have the the local lens of like what it did specifically to your classroom and your students, but you also connect nationally and internationally too, to trends and people. So feel free to talk to any experience there, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on just when you were in the pandemic itself, the specific changes. And then as we ease out of the pandemic, um, the good, the bad, the not ugly, but you know, (laughs) right.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, the first thing is that because I mean, me or anybody else that's in a similar situation where you've been using technology in your classroom, a lot of people thought, well, wow, this, this change to fully virtual must be easy. And it wasn't, it didn't matter how much experience you had with teaching and or using technology in the classroom. It was so sudden that there, there was no amount of preparation for that, that was the first thing. And then the next part of it was like the scramble of trying to figure out, okay, how do I take what I was doing in my classroom and put that into the virtual space and trying to use or do all of the same things. But I think at least for me, it was challenging trying to figure out because like in a given 42 minute period, I could do a lot of different things with a, a class of 20, 25 students. And when they leave, even if I haven't given them a paper or some type of an activity, I still have a good idea of, of how they're doing, first of all, because that's really important, and then where they are in terms of learning from what we covered that day or just throughout that process. But in the virtual space, it was like trying to figure out how to fit all of that into it because the time it took for students to connect or if they were joining in or not joining in, and just that piece of being in person, being able to see one another was so challenging for everybody. And I think as a couple of weeks went by, you know, you started to find a space to fit, but then came this, Hey, there's all these ed tech tools and they're all free. So everybody's like grabbing for all of them and still not really knowing what to do with them, I guess, and because like just struggling to get through thinking, you know, hopefully after the summer, we're gonna go back to normal school. But I remember being involved in the conversation with, I think six or seven people in, in varying roles in education. And this is probably April of 2020. And one of the people in that that conversation said, I'm telling you right now that we're not going to see... return to an almost normal setting style of school until the 2022-2023 school year. And at that time, I almost fell out of my chair because I thought, wait a minute, like that's really far away. And here we are in 2022. And we really haven't, I mean, some schools have, some schools were very minimally impacted after that initial couple of months, but the majority had some type of an experience with it. And so The one thing, the one of the benefits that I said, it was like a a loud, annoying, I never set this wake up call that pushed teachers to either start using technology or to think about the methods that they were using in their classroom and to make some changes, uh, to also embrace risk-taking, which like, what do you have to lose at the end of a school year when like you've got nothing anyway, so you just go for it. And I think that that inspired a lot of educators to really look at what the options were out there And then the flip side of that, too, is when there were so many things that were available for free, a lot of schools start to do an audit and say like, hey, we're using like 400 different apps and tools within our school. We need to pull some of that in. And through all of those conversations and responses, I guess you could say too, something else that I that I know became like right at the forefront was the communication with families and how critical that is having something in place to communicate with all families and making sure that they can access those resources. So it was like a lot of things being juggled at the same time and not specific to education either because people in the workplace. And so it wasn't like only educators and families and the school, you know, the children were doing the bunch of things at the same time everybody in the world was. And I think a lot of people started to reevaluate how they were working, how they were interacting with one another and to start to kind of be more intentional about their work and their practice.
0: Yeah, that's super interesting. When you were even just recanting that story about that person saying 2022, 20, 2023 school year, it gave me goosebumps a little bit, like just and imagine having that foresight of just like, Things are not one. I don't think anything is going back to normal, quote unquote, but it takes a while to get back into that cadence and that rhythm and that stability, too. Um, And there's other instabilities happening in the K-12 environment that are making us all a little bit scared and trapped trepidatious getting back into the school year but that just like made me pause and i'm sure i can't imagine during the time when he said it you're like whoa yes (laughs) you know um, i was recently talking to an educator that's um, part of our team for the summer and the educator in residence stevie and she was talking about really just a slight disappointment i would say about how sometimes We want to get back to normal but we've defined normal as more of the traditional sit and get a little bit do you see a little bit of that trend happening back into the school year where they're like great we had all these free tech tools those are going away we had innovation but let's get back to normal you know do you see that at all
1: yeah and it's funny that you say that too because i know probably in that summer And well, actually, even after that summer, because when the school year was starting to approach, we were still kind of, at least at my school, you know, are we going to be in person? Are we going to be hybrid? Are we going to be fully virtual? But then after the first nine weeks, and we went back into the schools, I I even said, I wonder what it's going to be like when we get back into our classroom because just, however long you've been teaching, you know, you have the materials that you use, you have the space in your classroom where you normally sit or stand and you get back into that routine that felt more normal. like you know, the quotes normal. And I, I did that. I, I struggled whenever I got back into that because I'm thinking, wait, this isn't how I normally do this. I did it this other way, which one's the better way to do it and to get out of that routine. And even with people that I spoke to you know, throughout that school year in my school and beyond my school, they were experiencing the same thing. It's like you as a Spanish one teacher, I mean, there are points throughout the year where I'll, I'll think to myself, wow, it's already like April, because that's usually when we start talking about a certain vocabulary theme. And that's when, you know, with every passing year, you're like, I feel like I just said this. And that was a year ago. And there's that comfort in that because you know what to do because you've been doing that for so long. And then you have this interruption that happened where now you got to change everything. You had all these free options. Uh, You had different ways to learn and connect with students. And then you're like, "Hmm, which one is the right way? And that was a struggle. And for me, it definitely was. And I did catch myself going back to the way I had been doing things and not so much because I felt like I had to, but actually the setup of my room led me back into that because for years I had the students lined up in rows. And then about four years ago, I pushed them all into stations because I just felt like I couldn't connect with the students. They weren't getting along with each other really well. And I liked the options that were available. Now when we get back to the classroom with the spacing, they had to be back in the rows. And so I, I felt again, like I was standing at the front, they were sitting and they were taking in all the Spanish lessons and I didn't have as many options. So it took a little bit of time to kind of transition and find a way to merge. Like what I had changed about my practice from the virtual teaching and what I liked about what I had been doing in my normal kind of pre-COVID school closure experience and work through that. But even throughout that school year and into this past one, I I was still continuing to make changes and tweaks to that as well. And I'm sure many other people can can say the same thing.
0: Yeah, really interesting to think about, like, I think from the vantage point in the world of ed tech and professional ed tech professionals and leaders that are listening, we're like, well, we're seeing the trends, but you bring up the really good point because you're experiencing it. Like physical space dictates a lot of what you do. Right. And we know this, but it's kind of, it takes you to remind us too, that all of a sudden physical space can limit or sometimes expand what you can and cannot do. Right. And I can even imagine like, if I was doing this, I'd be in the classroom and it'd be almost like Jekyll and Hyde, but not like evil <laughs> voice, but it would be like, yeah. do it this way in the virtual world. No, do it this way in the
1: physical right. world, you know, and like, what's right. And you probably don't think either one's right. Right. <laughs> no, it, it was, it's interesting. I, sh- I don't even want to say it was interesting because it, it still continues to be because you don't, you don't really know, you know, you wait for that call or that notice that says, "Well, we're going to be virtual for a day or for a week. Like you just there's no way to really prepare for that, but there, you're, I can relate to the, the voices saying, no, wait, you're, you didn't always do it this way and you have to use this. And then there, there were some things that I used to do that I had totally forgotten about that I really liked. But being in that virtual space, I'm like, well, I can't do that. And then even at the end of this school year, I thought, oh my gosh, I totally forgot about these different methods or activities that I had done before. But that's okay because the summer and time to reflect and throw that back into next year.
0: Yeah, that's all you can do is just move forward and reflect. so speaking of ed tech and the things that were maybe introduced to many educators and maybe not yourself, because I feel like you use a lot of ed tech, but like thinking about a lot of the new ed tech that was adopted during the pandemic, like what have you seen stick? Are there trends of people continuing to, to use it or are right now, like you're just getting off at of ISTE and other ed tech conferences? Are there trends in ed tech that maybe surprise you that people are just really excited about that wouldn't be because of the pandemic? Or is it just kind of like same old, but in in a good way, like we had good stuff to talk about, but.
1: Right. Yeah. I think it's kind of a mix, you know, I think that, A lot of schools are using, you know, like Microsoft Teams or they're using Canvas or some type of space where they hadn't, there wasn't, or maybe a few teachers were using something. And so that has been put into place by a lot of schools just to have that consistent space where students, teachers, families, anybody can look and find what they need because for a lot of schools, they didn't have that. And then you're like, how do I connect with my students? Um, some other things, just the the ways that you can kind of build relationships using some of the different tools where you have students do, like in my case, like a speaking assessment or to do kind of collaborations globally uh, when schools close. I mean, for me, I'm the only Spanish teacher in my school. So, lucky or not for my students they're with me for potentially four years of spanish and i know most of them except for like when the newer students come into spanish one if i didn't have them in the eighth grade course i don't know them and we're a small school district so most of the students know each other but creating that virtual space where they can get to know you you can get to know them they can get to know each other i think a lot of teachers started to look for some of those tools to amplify like student voice and to facilitate those collaborations and communication, whether or not it's just between like teacher and student, or if it was more toward like teacher and parent to have that space. And then another component that I think has really increased in my experience has been like stem everything related to stem coding emerging technologies conferences that i've been as been at as an attendee or um, a presenter or both it seems like those topics have increased a lot and then even i i would say i don't want to say like even with that or as a tie with that but pretty close. And I don't know which one edges the other, but like social emotional learning and looking for ways to kind of help students to build those skills, whether it's through different methods they're using because, you know, technology never may not always work. You never know when it comes to that. It might change. But finding ways to help students to build those skills to prepare for the future or to deal with challenges and stress like we've all experienced. Um, But I think teachers are Definitely more interested overall in like that ongoing learning and and willing to take risks more than they were before, because I think just it kind of pushed a lot of educators into that space, and they're like, "Oh, I kind of like all of these different options and what it can do for student learning.
0: Yeah. And I'm trying to, because you said so many amazing things, but uh, for the listeners, sometimes the person that regurgitates the awesome things the speakers say. So I I would say that your trends that you have seen that may or may not have surprised you but are are different post-pandemic would be STEM. And I see cool, cool things happening in the world of sim. I feel like more technology products are becoming more accessible to classrooms as well. Um, The price has not been so intense as well because... There are more competitors driving the prices down too so i I definitely saw that at ISTE when i was walking the hall i'm like oh this is decreased in price this is awesome so stem i see that i see a lot of the student voice stuff like you're saying too digital storytelling and doing it in such different ways than we traditionally defined it before You know, I love when I'm seeing kids make podcasts about the Civil War, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Kids, you know, and what was the other one? So STEM, digital storytelling, and oh, SEL, and focus on relationships and mental health, right? Right. Yeah. Do you feel like the SEL and the mental health, I mean, that was something that was at the forefront during the pandemic. Do you see? I mean, I, I think of all the strategies in K-12 education, social and emotional learning is the most powerful, is the most impactful because if they're not ready to learn, you can't teach them anything. You can't do project-based learning. You can't do cool integrated technology if they're not ready to learn and you don't have a relationship with them. Right. But do you feel like that's gonna continue? I really hope so.
1: But- yeah, I, I, and I do. And I think that, you know, especially talking about, you know, when you say SEL, Versus and then you talk about like mental health, like for so long, people were afraid to talk about mental health or didn't know how to kind of address it or activities or things like do check ins with students. And I don't I don't know why that is, but it definitely those topics have become so like integrated in, in conversation on a daily basis and people are really looking for ideas and strategies. And you know, I've done surprisingly, somebody asked me years ago, I've been, I've been wrong or just misunderstood so many things in my teaching career. And that goes back to the preparation. You know, we're talking like, well, a long time ago with my, my classes. And again, I didn't always know I wanted to be a teacher, but the teacher prep programs they have now prepare them in so many different ways. But somebody said to me a couple of years ago, you know, what are you doing in your classroom for SEL? And I was thrown off by it because when they said SEL, I thought, I'm not sure what that is. And I said, well, what are you doing? (laughs) And turn it back to you. And then they gave a couple of examples. And so I kind of figured out what it was. And then I said, oh yeah, I'm doing some of those same things too. And then I did some research. And then since then, I've actually been doing Presentations on, you know, STEM and emerging technologies, but also a lot that are focused on SEL. Because again, I'm not the expert, but. It was something that I realized that was really important and not something to be thought of as like, oh, it's one other thing on top of everything else. They have to find a way to fit in. There's so many different ways you can kind of blend that into what you're already doing. And it's essential that we do that starting early on all the way through it, even for us as adults. So that is something that, like you, I hope does continue. And uh, from what I've seen and, and what I've read and experienced over the last couple of months, and even on a daily basis, it seems like it is really at the forefront. So that's good.
0: Awesome. Um. Just shout out, I think a couple of SEL resources to our listeners. We always provide show notes too. So at the end of this podcast, we'll give you a link to the show notes, but I'll throw in a couple of resources, um, specifically with CASEL is a nonprofit organization that produces a lot of free resources, research-based materials on social-emotional learning. And Rochelle, if you have any, you feel comfortable sharing a couple of resources around social-emotional learning, we can throw those in the show notes as well, even if it's just a couple of tech tools.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I would definitely say like, Castles where I went to first for a lot of information, but even you know, there's there's tools and there's methods that help students to kind of build those skills, so you don't have to really rely on the technology. But some that I found out about recently, like you know, well, not recently for this one, Peek Pack has a great curriculum uh, and lots of resources for students and then EverFi has some as well and then even Buncee last summer I think it was they created these two separate toolkits for I believe grades K through 6 and 7 through 12 and they're broken into the five core competencies and so for a teacher who's teaching say in 8th or ninth grade and they look at their classroom and they see that students really need some help with building relationships there are templates available that they can use for that so all of those, and I'm sure plenty more out there to explore. But the nice thing is like, they have so much in that one space that you don't have to kind of go looking all over the place.
0: Yeah, awesome. Well, let's think about diving in deeper into ed tech, but then also artificial intelligence. I know you're stoked on artificial intelligence known as AI in the world of education. And I think AI has been talked about for a while but more on a theoretical level sometimes I, I lack I, I don't tend to see except your presentations that you do and I think you know Steve Dumbo and things like that but I don't tend to see it directly connect to teaching as much because it's so it can be intimidating mm-hmm. as a topic and I was part of a program that introduced a little bit of AI into kids as it related to English and that was exciting but we just to even introduce it we had to talk about okay what is AI and they had to give examples and some of their examples were wrong, but that was okay, because we were wayfinding into the definition, right? right? But Why don't we start just talking about what is artificial intelligence? And how do you see it in the world of the classroom?
1: Yeah, that's the big question. And and actually when it comes to AI, a lot of people say, well, is it gonna take my job as a teacher? You know, We don't need to use it or I don't see it, it doesn't exist. But I did some research over the last, oh goodness, probably four years. And actually my interest in it started because I had written a blog for getting smart. And my whole perception when I would think about AI was like the movie, I Robot with Will Smith and the robots start to think like humans And then they feel and then they take action on their own. And then even now, you know, a lot of people have Alexa or Siri or those types of things, but don't really realize how much AI is used on a daily basis. And the thing about it, and I had a conversation with somebody a couple of years ago, and they said, well, the thing about AI is like when it's working or doing what it's supposed to be doing, like you don't know. It's just, Happening, It's like a super intelligence, I guess. Um, it becomes, you know, artificial intelligence becomes smarter over time, the knowledge expands, and it can sort and process a lot of information. And again, you know, there are things that we use in our everyday lives. And even in education, there are tools that have AI built into them that enable teachers to do a lot of different things uh, and even for students as well. But with ed tech and with any type of thing like artificial intelligence, you know, we always have to look at the positives, the negatives, and what are some areas of concern too. So with education, bringing opportunities in for ourselves to learn about AI and how it impacts us and the work that we do, but also helping students to understand what it means for them, not just now, but in the future, school, for work, uh, for daily life, I think so much of the learning happens just by having simple conversations about it and not like my students in eighth grade, I'll ask them what AI is and they'll quickly you know Google artificial intelligence and get millions of results because thank you for all of that technology. And they'll try to read me this really long, detailed definition And I'm like, no, 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 if somebody stops you on the street and says hey, you know what's AI? can you give me some examples? you're not going to be able to recite that to them, like put it into your own words. Um, but you know, a lot of the presentations that I do are on AI and how do you get started teaching it about it in your classroom? What are some places or areas that we see it? Where are some resources that don't require us to invest like a ton of time to kind of pull things together? But I do get very excited to talk about <laughs> AI, anything technology, actually.
0: So let's back up to, I'm a teacher and maybe I'm going back to school in this school year that might be slightly a bit more quote unquote normal, maybe, hopefully, I don't know. I mean, but how do they even make room for AI? How, wh- what are some areas where they can just dip their toe in the water to see if they like it, if it resonates with their students? Do you have any kind of like scaffolding or a getting started tips or tricks?
1: Yeah, it. Depends on you know the age that you're working with or the content area, there is definitely something out there for everybody. And for me, when I started, again, not an expert, I didn't know that much about it. I found a couple of videos and sometimes even just finding a video that's relevant to what you're teaching. Um, an example, like let's say you're teaching about, I don't know, just technology in general and you find videos that have like humanoid robots or you find a video on Alexa or even simple things like uh, talking to students about assessments that you use in class, like some of those game-based learning tools, and then having a discussion, say, okay, so let's say that you come into the class today and I give you a test or I give you a worksheet or some type of an assessment to do. So you write out your answers, you hand them in to me, and then I take them home, I go over them, and then I write feedback on them, I give them back to you. Maybe the next day, maybe not, because that's time consuming. In the process you can kind of make a comparison and say to students okay now we're going to use this digital tool and you're going to get the same questions that you had on that paper but as you are working through it i can see on my teacher dashboard how you're doing and i could walk over to you and say hey i noticed this pattern or based on some of these tools now that have the ai built into them as students respond it can see how they're doing and it can notice patterns in the time if they're getting them correct or incorrect and it can chart their own personalized learning path as they go, which then at the end of that time, one, it saves the teacher time. I mean, I love paper, I love projects, I love those things, but that human component of it to be able to grasp where the students are in the learning process and be able to save that time that you're sitting there writing the feedback and then instead walk over and have the conversation or for students to tie back into SEL, see their results and be able to start to build that self-awareness and maybe self-management because the stress of like working through some of those things. But the biggest thing I think is, you know, conversation, just saying, hey, you know, today we're gonna talk about AI. Where are we seeing AI used in the world? Depending on your class, maybe what are some solutions? Um, Recently, I was in a STEM camp and we had students working through a lot of things like creating 3D models, uh, coding, artificial intelligence, AR, VR. And then they had to work together to come up with some project that focused on the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And then a component of that was how could AI help with what your problem is or how could ARVR help with you know this SDG and it was really interesting to see what the students came up with so you don't really need a ton of time uh, to dive into it. You can because there are some resources out there for K through three, middle school, high school, you name it, but even just little components of it as part of a conversation or in your class, do a Google search and then explain to students the process of using the Dewey Decimal System and the card catalog and how much time that takes or show a video about that because that can be tied into any class where a student has to do some research or get some background information. I mean, I could go on and list tons of great tools to to get into. But even something as simple as a Google search for your class, that is a definite conversation starter.
0: Yeah. So, and what I love about you, a couple of things that you said too. So you keep saying, I'm not an expert, but what, what you are is a lifelong learner, which is a lot of educators out there. And, you know, if all of you got introduced to new types of technology and got excited about it, just continue that drive and that curiosity to dive in because Whatever we do, we want to make sure that we're teaching as close to the real world as possible. And whether we like it or not, AI is not infiltrating. I think that that's a scary word. But it it is ubiquitous in so many places in our life that we don't even know. And like you said, it just works. So we don't know, right? So we want to make sure that our students and our future generation understand it. And then it opens up that broad world of digital citizenship a little bit more. Like, how do we collectively determine the limits of AI and also name the things that you might be scared about and talk about that openly. And a lot of the times it's based on myths, like you said, too. Right. So there's so many options like you talked about with AI. But what I love about artificial intelligence is it it feels innately almost like ed campy. Like if anyone has heard about ed camps, it's, it's all about the smartest person in the room is the room. And with AI that like (laughs) exponential, it becomes very, very exponential because they use data from as much people as possible to say, here's the typical path or or whatever Mm -hmm. it may be.
1: And it starts learning and learning and learning. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. Just even when I first started to do the research and saw like, wow, I didn't know there was AI in that and just list things. And I have a When i do presentations i have a top 10 list of everyday uses of ai and i always have people go through and like give themselves a point for every one of those 10 that they use and i joked for years that i could never get higher than a seven because i don't have smart home devices i didn't use facial recognition on my phone and prior to november of 2020 i had never watched netflix but at that point in time it seemed like i had a little bit of extra time on my hands and so then i went up to an eight but it's interesting when i have these presentations even with my students how many of those students are at a seven or eight because they have all of those things and then even adults are like a 10 out of 10 but i had no idea of all of the different ways that it it is in our lives every single day
0: yeah and From the ed tech perspective in the classroom, I actually feel like I lack ed tech tools that are student designed, that are AI enhanced. The ones I know off the top of my hand are designed to help educators. Like it might be an AI grading system or a student intervention system or mental health or um, AI chatbots, those things. But what are the other ones in the actual classroom? Do you see that are like ed tech tools that are incorporating AI directly for student learning? Are there
1: a couple that come to mind? Yeah, well, the the first one, and I don't know if it is still out there, but it's it was Socrates. And I always joke, yeah. so crates. But yeah. uh, when we used it, it had, I think, third and fifth grade. And it had math, I think, and ELA. And my eighth graders, I always like to get them to kind of test things out because I want to see what it looks like. I want to get their feedback because that's really important, no matter what you're doing. I mean, to get the students... You know their the responses to tools we're using to methods because we need that feedback too but i set them up and i had them doing i think there were four of them in a row in the library and i had them do this fifth grade math now there was a little bit of pushback because they're like i'm in eighth grade and i'm doing fifth grade math and i said that's okay but i want to see how this works so We counted down, they all started on the first question at the same time. And based on how quickly they answered, whether they were right or wrong, the next question wasn't always the same for them. And it just charted its own path for them although one student quickly got bored with the fifth grade math and decided to code the little cherry at the bottom to go off of the screen instead so that was fun but then there are some other ones uh quizzes i believe has it that you can turn the option on for as the students are responding depending on what their patterns are if it's like verb conjugations then they get additional questions based on what they missed and so As teachers, I mean, we can do that. We can see those trends based on what students turn into us, or if we walk around, we have a conversation, however we assess our students. But to be able to give them something, you know, five minutes at the beginning of the class where it gathers it all for us, we see that, then we can have the conversation, or it's really personalizing it for each student at that point in time in real time. And so they're getting that feedback. They're getting the practice that they need. And it's, it's saving time of, like, you know, oh, I learned this wrong. Now I have to go back and relearn it. I'm, I'm building those skills. And again, tying back into the SEL, like that self-awareness because they they start to see this pattern, like I'm getting this question again. And now I'm I'm getting it right. And it's building their confidence in learning too, because they get that practice and they build those skills. Yeah, it can more
0: intelligently build scaffolds that are personalized to the student, which is really cool. Um, when it comes to... AI or even if we're talking about augmented reality, virtual reality, even any emerging ed tech, like all of these things are just a tool in the toolbox, too. And when you talked about, hey, we were um, doing the SDGs and like teaching about those things what if they use augmented I reality? What if they used AI? Like they can choose and use that to expand or demonstrate their knowledge, which is exciting too. It doesn't have to be embedded in an ed tech tool that you use every day.
1: Right. Yeah, The uh, the students, whenever they were, that stem camp doing the projects like i was very excited just to be able to hear what their ideas were and it was unbelievable because the parents came in on the last day and the students were all in their groups and did like a gallery walk and to hear these ninth grade students and one was from fifth grade because there were siblings there to hear what their ideas were and in some cases like you know these students didn't come in knowing what is out there as far as AI capability for some of the technologies that they were proposing. But they're like, well, what if we had this and this is how it worked to resolve this issue? And I'm thinking, that already exists. Like it's not like these kids knew that. So it gives them that kind of opportunity to you know innovate, to be creative, to be curious for learning. Uh, it definitely boosts student engagement. But then beyond that, tying in the SDGs in that case, you know, that global awareness that it's helping them to build. But it also for teachers who were involved, and then even just taking that home to their parents and families, realizing, you know, for a long time, people thought like ARVR was just a gimmick. It was going to go away. It was just for fun. There wasn't anything in learning potential in it. Uh, and the other part of it is sometimes educators, including myself, I thought, I'm just a Spanish teacher. I can't use this in my classroom. And then one day, about four or five years ago, my students in Spanish said, Hey, how come we don't get to do the cool ARVR stuff? And I was speechless, I had no answer for them. And I had never thought about it. So what I do? I dove right into Co-Spaces and I had no idea how it was gonna work out, but there were so many benefits. Like I did it for them to practice their Spanish, but in the process they were collaborating, they were building relationships, it was boosting student engagement. There were all of these other benefits that weren't part of my original plan, but it gave me that kind of push to start bringing that into my classroom because prior to that, you know, just a Spanish teacher, no, I'm a Spanish teacher, I can bring these things into my classroom. And uh, uh, the struggle for some is like, well, I don't know what to do with it. The thing is, you don't have to because the wow is already there. You just need the purpose and the why. What's it going to help you to do differently to provide better for your students or to help them to do that they can become more creative and not just sit and get to actually experience and immerse in an environment. So uh, it's a lot of fun. And it's something that I think, you know, teachers, if you're looking for something new to try, why not dive into one of those? And it's so true. What you said is that there's so many pieces of technology out there that we can
0: use in the classroom, but you don't, you will never know them all. You will never know them in and out. And a student will always use them differently than what you thought they would use them. They'll find the different nooks and crannies. They'll find another way and go, oh, did you know it could do this? No. (laughs) So you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable of not knowing everything. And I know a lot of educators are moving down that path, especially since COVID but technology whether it be ar augmented reality virtual reality ai is really here for us to be able to guide and explore and be curious alongside our students but give them guide rails too to make sure that they understand this is this is opening up the doors of what digital citizenship is or citizenship free or of really how do we do this in a responsible and ethical way going forward and be a part of the conversation and they will never be a part of the conversation if they don't get the hands-on aspect of what it is and what it can do right
1: right Right. Couldn't agree more with that. <laughs> yeah,
0: I know that we could talk about all of this forever. Um, for those of you that want to dive in more, we'll link to some of Rochelle's blogs. She has getting started resources. She's got all sorts of things. We'll list all of the tech tools that we talked about and potentially even more if you're like, oh, I want to try that. I want to try that. We'll put it all in the show notes. So don't worry. Um, I want to talk about to talk to our other audience. So we have a lot of ed tech folks in the classroom a lot of educators in the classroom that just want to be more innovative or a little more open in their mindset but we also have ed tech professionals and ed tech leaders right so these are the the startup folk that like to listen and and talk and and understand where educators are at and so they use this podcast to do that but i'm going to give you just an open mic here to just do you have any advice for them? And specifically, what would you like to see them incorporate more AI or other technologies? Or do you feel like they're kind of providing the things that classrooms need? These are all big, loaded, big questions. Yeah, I was just thinking
1: that. I was like, that is a, that's a loaded question right there. Um, you know, I think there's a... We could spend another like three hours talking about this. But I think the biggest thing is, you know being able to communicate with the people that you're trying to help or to serve regardless of what you do. So, for me, you know, asking my students if I'm trying a method or a digital tool in my classroom, like, what did you like about this? What did you not like about this? What did it help you to do? Uh, any of those types of things. And for people who are you know, running these companies or coming up with a tool, and often what I found in my conversations, and I'm sure you find this too, is sometimes these tools and apps that are being created are not being created by people who are educators. Sometimes it's parents because they saw some type of a need or it's somebody who has the, a business component of it and they see this need in education. So they're kind of trying to make that transition or add on to it. But I think the the key is having a space to communicate and being open about, you know, and asking teachers for like what they need. There, one of the questions I get a lot is like, what are the other tools that are out there that have AI in them or are there more coming or can you talk to companies and ask them? And if it's something that can be done that can really facilitate or make things faster Teachers, so that that frees up time where they can have more time with students, or if it's something that enables teachers to communicate better with families, or however it can enhance it, then I think you know definitely like you want to go for it because it's the idea is constantly improving on what we're doing and using our classrooms. But to sum it up, I, I think it's just the communication, having a way to ask teachers you know, what do you need? What could be better? What do you like? And some companies do that. Like you may get this too. And anybody listening might get those, those surveys. And sometimes there's, you know, an enticement, like, Hey, you know, there's going to be a winner of an Amazon car. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes you're lucky and you actually win that Amazon car. But when they ask specific questions and even the open-ended questions, like what is something that you need in your classroom that would enable you to provide more ways for students to communicate or to create or collaborate or whatever it is. And then actually taking that into consideration and, and continuing to you know refine what it is that you're offering. I think that's the key.
0: Yeah. And you said two things that really resonated. One is think about your goal first, your instructional goal, your learning goal first, and not use tech for tech's sake. Sometimes we do get excited about, oh my gosh, it can do this, it can do that. But think about what are you trying to accomplish and can it truly enhance learning? And maybe down the SAMR model, and I know there's lots of um, other modifications of the right. SAMR model now, but really instructional goals first is really a great
1: way to look at it. Yeah, I couldn't agree. I mean, that's not something that I realized years ago, which is another one of the things like, oh, a, ne- a new tech tool and <laughs> dive right in and students are engaged. And I was totally wrong about that, but really thinking about the why behind it. Yeah. I
0: mean, you also talked about listening and so many guests on our show have talked about, you know, the number one piece of advice they'd give to ed tech professionals is just to listen as much as possible. And I'm thinking specifically from Serena um, who came on from Soundtrap Education, but so many other guests, and we'll put that in the show notes too, because it's really powerful hearing from her who just got out of the classroom and said, I really need y'all to listen to educators as much as possible. And you gave some examples, but at, LCG. One of the things we do is build community because we fundamentally believe if you're not if you don't have a way to connect meaningful to edu- in a meaningful way to educators, you're not you're never going to create a product that really resonates or makes an impact, right? right? And one of our colleagues, Porter Palmer, says you know when she talks to people and say, do you want to build community or do you think you have a community? She asks you know name five educators, but don't name like don't just name them and what they do name their spouses name what they're passionate about what their struggles are and if you can't even do that as an ed tech founder you don't have a deep connection to your audience you don't understand their struggles what you know when they do have those celebrations or wins all of the things is from a marketing perspective we need to talk in a way that resonates with educators and provides value Mm -hmm. So I'm sorry, I'm getting on my soapbox. <laughs> You've inspired me. <laughs> um, I know we are reaching the end here. Um, Rochelle, we ask all of our guests this one question, and I think because it's so positive and practical and No matter if we're in a in the thick of a pandemic or getting out of it or or starting school, whatever it may be, we always need ways to pick ourselves up because life is hard. It's challenging in the day to day, but it it can be so rewarding. I'm wondering, what do you do? Because you are going a mile a minute. What are the things you read? You physically do? What are the things that keep that pep in your step when things are not going so well?
1: Yeah, I definitely need some of that pep of my step on some days. Um, You know, I've gotten better about, especially in the summer, but even during the week when I can, like, starting the day with a routine like sitting down and reading like i have a book outside on my deck that i make a cup of coffee the phone stays in the kitchen because otherwise i'm looking at it every five seconds and i sit outside and i read i make sure that during the summer i get outside and take two walks a day even if they're a short walk and even during the school year i say to people you know if you have your planning period get out and walk around your school building just one, to stretch and to move, but that gives you a chance. If you see like the learning that's happening, you run into your colleagues that you don't even realize you still teach in the same building because you're always so busy. Uh, Other parts of your day, you know, have days where you don't set up meetings or it's time specific for your family and your friends and have something to look forward to each day. I mean, For me, I don't know if it's a good thing or bad thing. There's a a bakery at the end of our school parking lot that's a very famous one. And this school year, I decided that one day a week, I was going to order on my phone and walk outside, weather, of course, had to be decent at least, not raining or snowing, and get myself just like a latte or a bagel sandwich. Just That was something to look forward to. Or celebrations with my students for something completely ridiculous at times. Like, hey, tomorrow we're going to have like ice cream. Why? Because it's Thursday. I don't know. Just... (laughs) Like we did that. And it was just small, small things that make a difference in what can be a challenging time, but making sure that you set aside time for yourself each day, even if it's five minutes to just walk outside, get some air and come back in and get right back to the work.
0: I love that because it's, it's whether you're in the classroom or you're in education I, technology, I am like, yes, I try to do walks too, but it's nice to be able to create and, and almost take, hold yourself accountable and say, I'm going to do this once a week and it becomes right. normal. And then maybe other people will catch on to it as well. Yeah. Do you read
1: any John Grisham, Grisham anymore? <laughs> you know, I haven't in the longest time. And it's because I started to read ed- books around education. The first one being Teach Like a Pirate on my way to ISTE and Philly in 2015 on the train. I was like doing a Twitter chat, which was new to me. I was reading this book. I'm like, this is amazing. And since then, it's been all you know, education type books, but, uh, and Mary Higgins Clark was another one that I had read and I was at a conference and the woman was in the elevator and she was kind of like running the elevator up and down. And she was sitting on a stool and she was reading a Mary Higgins Clark. And I was like, Oh my gosh, just brings me back to, you know, years ago when I used to like, wait for that next book to come out, but I'm going to have to now look one up. That's going to be my next, my next thing. <laughs>
0: Well, Rochelle, how can people get in touch with you and any resources you'd like to share? We'll also put them in the show notes. But if you want to put a shout out to some of the resources you'd like to share with the audience, um, you can do that now too.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm pretty consistent across all things, Twitter, Instagram, it's RDNE915. If you add the Gmail to that, that's my email. If you put the www and the com around it, that's my blog site. And then I have a, a community on Facebook of my own Facebook, but also a Thrive and EDU community on Facebook as well that I invite people to join in if you're looking for a way to connect with educators around the world and uh, to have some fun too and to drop in the work and the things that you're learning.
0: Yep. And just to re-say that, it's Thrive in EDU. And I believe you also have a Twitter hashtag and a chat, right? I do. Yeah, lots all the things, right? <laughs> yes, but she's consistent. So that's R-D-E-N-E-915 yeah. on, on all the things. So I thank you so much, Rochelle, for taking the time. I know how busy you are, but geez, you have, you've you've in, in like 45 minutes have given us resources, hope, Um I don't, I'm speechless. So I, I really appreciate you. I know the audience will as well. For all of you listening, you can access this episode's show notes at leoniconsultinggroup dot com backslash twenty five twenty five. Like I don't know. Ooh we sometimes lie and say, I wish I was 25 again, It's 25 for detailed notes on anything that she spoke about. I'll throw in some helpful things because what we try to do on these podcasts is get you excited and interested. And then we give you the resources to start charting your own path along the way too. So thank you everyone. We will see you next time on all things marketing and education. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. If you liked what you heard and want to dive deeper, you can visit leoneconsultinggroup.com backslash podcast for all show notes, links, and freebies mentioned in each episode. And we always love friends, so please connect with us on Twitter at Leone Group. If you enjoyed today's show, go ahead and click the subscribe button to be the first one notified when our next episode is released. We'll see you next week on all things marketing and education.